All year long, uh, we have been in a sort of an overarching series, Come See What Love Can Do, so that all the sermon series have related one way or another to the difference, the transforming power of God's love for us and God's love through us for one another. And we've sort of reached the mountaintop now that we're in September, uh, circling around the very summit as we think in this new sermon series that we're starting this morning from the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, trying to distinguish how we learn to love God's way, not the way culture teaches us, but God's way. So this morning and the remaining uh, Sundays in September uh, will be in the series. So I invite you to pray uh, about, meditate on, read, reflect on, 1 Corinthians 13. Last sermon series, I ask you to read a six-chapter book. This one is even simpler. Uh, One chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. In just a moment, I want to read that, and I invite you to pray for me as as I bring the message this morning. Right now, would you bow with me for a time of prayer? Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we are so thankful for the liberating love of Jesus Christ, for the the price that he paid for our sins that we might be pronounced not guilty, clean before you. Thank you today for the comforting Holy Spirit's presence in the ongoing Christian journey that is not always easy. We pray today your tender grace on those who are grieving. May the resurrection promises of Jesus Christ be more uh, real and shine brighter for them in their hour of darkness. We pray for those who've had difficult diagnoses concerning health this week, for those who are struggling with mental health issues, for those who are battling job-related problems and family crises, that you would be a God very near, comforting and blessing. We pray for our armed forces everywhere in the world today. We pray for peace. We pray for the homeless and the displaced, for immigrants who are seeking shelter and safety. We pray for our leaders as they make policies that would be full of justice and mercy. We pray for our partners today in Kenya and in Ukraine, and for those where we have ministered recently in Houston, in South Dakota, and and then, Lord, in our own community, our many, many partners, that you would bless and strengthen them. As we approach your holy word this morning, Father, we are aware that you resist the proud, but you give your strength and grace to the humble, and you never forsake those of us who depend upon your mercy. So we want to learn more about loving the way you love. We want to be open to the teaching that you have for us and the correcting that you have for us. So guide our words and our thoughts May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, through your holy name, amen. I invite you to stand now as I read aloud this uh, majestic chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to be preaching this morning from the first three verses, uh, but I'm going to read the entire chapter so that we sort of have a feel for its power and its impact. 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, 
but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put an end to foolish ways, to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. One of the questions that we have in front of us this morning is to uh, figure out how to make love more than just a word. Words are important, but words have to be backed up by behavior and by action. How do we make love more than just something we say? Because words by themselves are pretty cheap. You know, we can say things, and it doesn't make them true. I I loved the old Peanuts comic strip. Uh, There was one particular... uh, one particular sequence where Snoopy is on top of his doghouse with his typewriter and he's writing out, Sweetheart, I think of you continually. I continually think of you. And the next sentence he said, I continually think of you about every other week. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Snoopy was guilty of what we're all guilty of. We can say pious words, great words about love, but, you know... It's not really all that is cracked up to be because words by themselves are cheap. And the related problem we have is how to distinguish culture's many uh, assumptions and definitions of love from what the Bible really says true love is because there's a great, great discrepancy there. The biblical word for uh, love that's used in 1 Corinthians 13 is agape, Uh, and the fascinating thing about the Greek language, the language in which the New Testament is written, is that there there are many Greek words for different kinds of love. There's eros, from which we get our word erotic. Uh, There is phileo, which is used in the word, the the name Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Uh, There's astorge, but the the word agape is, is different, and And uh, the problem with with our English language is we have one word 
for all these different definitions. We have one word for romantic passion, but it's also the same word that we use for how we feel about apple pie and about grandma and the Kansas City Chiefs and our country and one another and God. And we put all that freight on one tiny word and expect it to be clear to everybody what we mean. The word agape was, uh, in the time of the New Testament era, not that widely used, and the early Christians, inspired by the Holy Spirit, were able to claim that word that wasn't used as, uh, as much as other words for love and to fill it full of meaning as followers of Jesus. So that in the New Testament, the, the verb agape is used, the verb form of agape is used 130 times, and the noun agape is used 120 times. So that we have some new understanding, perhaps, of the, of the distinction between a biblical kind of love and culture's kind of love. I'm going to attempt a couple of definitions this morning just to help us have a frame of reference. And if, there, if time allows, we'll do this uh, most of the weeks of this sermon series so that I'll be sharing with you what some Bible scholars and some, some uh, experts uh, give us as a way, a working definition of love. If you uh, know anything about a recent translation of the Bible, Common English Bible, they've come out with a study Bible in the notes there is a notation under 1 Corinthians 13, love is a commitment to and concern for the well-being of others. And then my New Testament professor, may God rest his soul, such a great, great Christian man, once in class defined this agape love as endless goodwill and appreciation, a self-giving and devotion to the other's well-being. Now, we're going to leave that on the screen a while for those of you who like to write notes. Um, And I want you to notice a few things about those two definitions of love, which, by the way, I like very much. One is that the focus on these words have to do with an act of the will and not a response of emotion. Love is not a feeling. Brooke said it in children's time, and I hope all of the adult children were listening Love is not a feeling. Do you, do you see Paul say anything about feeling in 1 Corinthians 13? Now, sometimes the feeling of love comes after we obey, we act to the will, but, but it's an act of the will, not a response of the emotion. The, the second thing that I would ask you to notice is that agape love is other-directed. It is outward-directed. It has to do with the well-being of others. It's not about me. It's not about my way and my feelings. It is other-directed. And the third thing I'd have you to notice is to notice what's not in 1 Corinthians 13. The name Jesus Christ is not mentioned. The words, the cross of Christ are not mentioned. And yet, and yet, backing up and supporting the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 is the radical redefinition that Jesus gave to what it means to love. He radically redefined it by his life and his teachings, and most of all by his death for us, his enemies, dying on the cross for our sins. So that even though the name Jesus and the word cross are not mentioned in 1 Corinthians, they are driving everything in this chapter. 
because of this radical redefinition that Jesus gives of love. And I may parenthetically say at this point, if you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Christ, you've not made a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ, even if you didn't know about forgiveness of sins and cleansing that he brings when he comes into your heart, even if you didn't know about the eternal life that he brings and the assurance of everlasting life and the peace and the purpose in your life, if for no other reason you ought to become a Christian because of the way God can begin to love you and love through you as you open your heart, I highly recommend following Jesus because he can transform your life by the power of his love. Well, truth be told, most of us have mostly heard this chapter read, 1 Corinthians 13, at weddings. Uh, and, And there's nothing wrong with that because this is a great, great foundation for a married couple and for those worshiping at a marriage ceremony. But Paul didn't write it to be nice and flowery. He's not not trying to say something pretty. This is not a first century hallmark card. Paul is not trying to get Corinthians to feel something. He's trying to get them to do something. He's trying to get them to act like followers of Jesus and stop their squabbling and quarreling. You see, this chapter is sandwiched between two other chapters, 1 Corinthians 12 and chapter 14, where Paul's been talking about the spiritual gifts, those endowments of the Holy Spirit, the gift of preaching, or the gift of administration and organizing, or the gift of servant uh, serving and helps and And the Corinthians were squabbling about everything and saying, my gift is the greatest. Well, I'm the most important in the church. Well, you're not important, but I'm really important. And Paul says, the greatest gift is love. Love is the elixir that allows the chemistry of our many differences to somehow work together. Love is the lubricant of the church that allows the the gears to mesh instead of grind. When we are around people who are so different from us, love is that which helps us to really, really function together. So it's a very practical word. So in this first few verses, he says, even if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He picked on himself because everybody knew he was, a, he was a preacher. He said, even if I could speak like angels, and even if, in the, the next phrase he says in verse 2, if I had prophetic powers, great, great preacher. But he also picks on the Corinthians because they prided themselves on having deep spiritual insights that nobody else had. He said, even if I understood all mysteries, if I don't have love, I'm like a, like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In in Corinth and other cities of the first century, there were pagan temples everywhere. And uh, the pagan temples had gongs that would be sounded at certain times during their rituals. Can't you just imagine uh, a mother and her little child, uh, followers of Jesus, walking by a pagan temple and 
a gong goes off and a little child says, Mama, what's that noise? And she says, it's nothing. It's pagan worship. There are no false gods. So it's just, it's useless. It's just noise. It's nothing. Paul says, that's what, that's what we are if we have great preaching or great spiritual insight, but we don't love. We're just a noisy, noisy gong. There's another interesting insight from this phrase, noisy gong. Even as early as Plato, almost four centuries before Christ was born, from early, from early uh, Greco-Roman culture, uh, there was a word that was used for a public speaker who was all talk, who was uh, a windbag, who was kind of just boring everybody and full of himself. You know what they called a person like that, that windbag speaker that went on and on and on? They called that person a gong. Paul says, you're just like those highfalutin speakers who talk and say nothing. Maybe that's where we got the gong show. I don't know. That could be. Um, He goes on and he says, uh, if I have faith to move mountains, but don't have love, I'm nothing. Verse 3, if I give away all my possessions, let me ask you a question. Is it possible to to do good things for other people and not love them? Is it possible to do really heroic, sacrificial things for people and not really love them? Of course it is. Because we might be doing it to be noticed by others. We might be doing it out of guilt. Or we might be doing it out of pride to stay in control. As long as I'm giving to these poor wretches, I'm better than them. And I'm just a little removed from them. There are a lot of reasons we could do a lot of nice things for people and not really love them. And conversely, the smallest of things that we do for others, when done in love, become great things. That's what Mother Teresa taught. The smallest of things done in love are great things. There was this great story that came back from China, one of our Christian missionaries shared, that there was a man, an elderly uh, Chinese man, with a heart condition who would walk several miles uh, every uh, uh, every time that was needed to, to, to get his heart medicine. And, and several times a week he would walk several miles and back because he was walking to a Christian mission, a clinic there, uh, where they didn't just give him his medicine, but they told him about Christ and they were interested in him. And later on the communist built a clinic right in the village where the man lived, but he still walked to the Christian clinic those many miles. And somebody asked him why he was walking so far with a heart condition when there was a clinic in his village. And and you know what he said? He said, because medicine given in love tastes better. It's true, isn't it? Medicine given in love tastes better. Even if I give away all my possessions... Hand over my body that I may boast. One letter difference in different manuscripts. Some manuscripts say, give over my body that it may burn. In other words, even if I become a martyr for my faith, if I don't have love, it's nothing. Well, you know what? Terrorists sometimes sacrifice their bodies to be burned, but I don't think they love. 
See, you can do all these things and not love. You've heard the old adage, haven't you? People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. We think we just dump a lot of Jesus' words on them and they're going to be okay. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. You want to measure your spiritual commitment? Don't count how many times you read the Bible each week or how many times you pray or how long you pray. Don't talk about how much money you give to the church or how much time you invest in civic projects. If you want to measure your spiritual commitment, just ask yourself, do people consider me a lover? Do people consider me a person who loves? That's what Paul is saying. Pastor Adam Hamilton shares a story about uh, one time he was preaching a sermon on the church's vision and its mission. And after the sermon, one of his members came up to him and said, uh, you know, I want you to know something God did today. This person said, the ministry team that I'm involved in in this congregation, we kind of got off track. We got cranky with one another. And we kind of uh, uh, got impatient. And we lost sight of why we were doing what we were doing. And this church member said to Adam Hamilton, the sermon this morning rekindled the passion in us and we remembered why we were doing what we were doing. And we started loving again. Though I speak with tongues of humans and angels, though I have all knowledge, though I have faith to move mountains, though I give sacrificially, though I allow myself to be a martyr, if I don't have love, it's nothing. And maybe that's what's been missing in your personal walk. You've tried everything else. You need Jesus Christ in your life. You need to come to the place where you Tell him you're sorry for shutting him out and you turn from that life that has ignored his love trying to manage it yourself and you invite him in. But even followers of Jesus, that may be what's missing in your Christian experience. There's no joy. There's no power. There's no peace. And maybe you've, you've got everything in place except your heart is not open to God's love and to allow him to love through you. It's the power that drives everything else in Christian mission. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, direct our hearts to a fresh start to live your kind of love. Through Christ we pray. Amen.